welcome to High Tea. I'm your host, Jenna V, and we're here on Grow at Daily Hive. We want to give a shout out to Niche and Cannabis Wise for supporting High Tea as always. Today, we have two special guests with, with us today. First, we have Andrea Dobbs, the co-founder of The Village Bloomery and a holistic health enthusiast. She's also the former chairwoman of Women Grow Vancouver Chapter. We also have Jeremy Jacob in the studio with us today, who's the other co-founder of The Village Bloomery and acting pres president of the Canadian Association of Medical Cannabis Dispensaries, or CAMCD. Thank you guys both for coming. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So how about we start with uh, you, Andrew? Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in the cannabis space? Yeah, uh, this might be a familiar story to some, but um, maybe not to others. Um, I am a, a late bloomer. <laughs> I, I come to cannabis later in life. Um, I had experimented with it a couple of times in my younger years, and it never really felt that it offered me anything that I wanted to pursue. So it wasn't a part of my life. It was around me all the time. I grew up in East Van, and so I was well acquainted with cannabis and um, where you could get it and who had it and who didn't and who loved it and who loved it a very lot. Um, so it was around, and it wasn't until uh, in my later 40s when I started to uh, look at plant-based modalities to treat perimenopause symptoms that I came across cannabis again, and it looked like a viable option. And so I went to the dispensary down the street and <laughs> asked for what, you know, what, what the suggestion might be, and I just made a young man very uncomfortable with all <laughs> of my details, and he slid me a chocolate and said, people use this for PMS, and so I took that, and the rest was history, literally, because I spent about eight hours drooling on a couch, which <laughs> didn't feel good, <laughs> and then I came out of that and went, wow, so that would have been nice if I had been sort of directed towards a lower dose yeah. <laughs> and some <laughs> different modalities potentially. And, but it was also a real eye-opener because I, I felt I slept very well that night. Mm -hmm. I felt pretty good the next day and thought there's something to this. And um, so yeah, Jeremy and I have uh, both been longtime entrepreneurs and over the years political activists to some extent and so when we saw the opportunity uh, because there were shops opening up all over the city and we had this experience around wow we have a different spin we'd like to put out there mm -hmm. um, and then you know looking at in terms of entrepreneurship as well and the political activism and all, all the dots kind of connected and we thought we should step into this arena yeah absolutely so i think it's a great time to pull jeremy into mm -hmm. this conversation so why don't you you also tell us a little bit about your background and kind of what brought you to the cannabis space and to eventually um, co-founding the village bloomery yeah there was a, a lot that came to it i mean i've i've been a cannabis consumer most of my life all my adult life um it's been an on and off thing. You know, it was about not having the right access mm -hmm. to find what really worked for me. But, you know, so things have really evolved for me in terms of my relationship with cannabis um, over the years as we've gotten a more sophisticated industry. But, you know, it's like Andrea said, we were, we were um, long-time entrepreneurs mm -hmm. and interested in what was going on in the cannabis space and how do we get involved. And uh, we, we recognized the, the cannabis retail side as an opportunity because, A, Andrea's got a huge background there and uh, has a history of doing things differently and, and maybe a little better. Mm -hmm. And uh, had worked with Women's Wear, who was really on the, the cutting edge of a, of a new retail sector and thought, okay, that's something that this sector could really benefit from. And then on top of that, we knew that 
you know, legalization was going to bring a whole lot of change. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, the people who we knew here in BC and the industry who were all good people, they were really at risk, you know, mm -hmm. and, and there was no one, well, I shouldn't say there was no one, but we felt that there was room in this, in the space for someone to step in and try and have, to have a, a voice. different, different conversation. Try to, yeah, try to yeah. have a, a bridge building kind of a conversation and try to, you know, just add, add another perspective on how this should work out. Um, so it didn't really, it wasn't about getting into this and becoming a frontline, you know, president of an association, I guess is what I'm thinking about, but it, it happened and it was like, okay, well, I guess I'm here and this is what we were, you know, we knew this was on the table, so I'm going to step through this door and... Yeah, and for people who might not know what CAMCD is, can you kind of give us the elevator summary of what it is the organization does? Right, so CAMCD founded in 2011. It was there to advocate for patients, for continuity of access and for quality access and in a safe and welcoming environment, and then also to advocate for the translation or transli transition of those businesses that supported those patients. Absolutely. Um, so we were able to draw on a lot of precedents from U.S. markets and, and show how the U.S. is handling transition of existing businesses and um, we really worked hard towards creating this opportunity. Absolutely. So, you know, when I moved to Vancouver, it actually took me a little bit of time to get over to your store. But once I did, I, I remember standing there being like, why haven't I come here sooner? So I felt like when I, I walked in, the space was open, it was bright, there was lots of really beautiful, um, you know, like things on the wall and tons of products. Um, I interacted with three different, you know, retail associates. They were all super, super knowledgeable. You know, then I went out to the back and I didn't know what I wanted to get. And, and someone actually took the time with me and showed me how to identify the kinds of strains that would work well with me. Anyways, it was all in all a really good experience. And when I actually stepped back, I thought, is this a place that I would take my mom? And the answer was, yeah, and it totally was. And I think that's so important and sometimes missing um, from some of the store itself. So, you know, in the in the process of kind of creating the Village Bloomery, what were you guys like thinking? What were you trying to embody? What, you know, what's your kind of inspiration for the, the store itself? A big consideration when we look back at that is like, what if cannabis wasn't illegal? What would it look like? You know, just strip away everything that was associated with cannabis and that that it must smell funny and that it's you know always in a clear jar and <laughs> it's got to be a big pot leaf <laughs> beside it somewhere like those are the stereotypical things that we just did not want in the mix and so it was a bit of knowing what you don't want and then also just trend bringing in uh, what is desirable in any retail location and that is a quality of light and physical space and merchandising and that was just like what I brought from my own life in retail into the mix. Yeah, from your past experiences. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, so you guys are one of the um, licensed um, dispensaries in the city of Vancouver. So what was that licensing process like? I mean, what, what are some of the biggest, you think, hurdles in that process as well? Just for the record, we're in stream. We we're not don't have that. Oh, not in hand. But okay. it's it's with the city, and we're we're communicating with them. Weeks away. Yeah, <laughs> it's close. We're close. But it was a process. Um, How long has it taken? It's been almost three years that we've been engaged in this process. Wow. If I could even back it up, I think when we were just opening, more than I, three years. I said very clearly to the city, this is what we're doing, I want to be fully transparent, and they were just like, wow, we don't actually have a category for that, so if you could not ask for that kind of license, and I was like, what oh, well, is it? A cannabis retail is oh. what I asked for. <laughs> 
So you went in before the regulations yes. were even created. Yeah, and they were just like, mm. and they weren't, you know, they, they weren't encouraging by any means, but they also didn't, they also treated me with complete dignity and just said, we, we don't have that category. And I just was like, well, I want it on the record that that's what we're doing so that you know. Only in Vancouver, though, you walk into City Hall and you say, this is the kind of person so I like, know. Oh, maybe. <laughs> Well, we had a cafe in the shop, too. At yes. The yeah. Okay. So we, we were working towards a cafe license, and when they wouldn't give us the the cannabis retail, we asked for a specialty retail license, and okay. they said no. So we got as far as the occupancy permit mm-hmm. and a Vancouver Coastal Health permit to operate. Okay, And cool. then our licensing process for the cafe didn't go any further. Yeah. So and and when they tomorrow. announced the licensing, I was so excited and wrote a letter to Dr. Penny Bellamy and said, please come and see what we've done. I think we could be part of developing the framework for what it could look like. And that was like, yeah, no, we're not coming. <laughs> so but the we did process, stay. Yeah, though, we did. Was your yeah. question, I guess. Yeah. We should get back to that. Yeah. Was, you know, we, uh, we were in proximity to another shop. Right. That shop ended up closing down on its own. Okay. So Another how many how many meters do you have to be away from other 300 shops? 300 was the proximity. So that means also like real estate's pretty tight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are certain green zones in the city that, right. you know, will will fit. Okay. And uh, I think that the original plan from the city's zoning and planning people was to create a plan that would allow 20 retail locations in the city. <laughs> and then through the the board of variance process, which is the conscience of the bylaws, um, they got another 20 that were that went through. So there are now right. about 40 shops right. in stream to get municipal licenses in Vancouver. And there are about 70 operating with injunctions filed against them. Right. But back to the process, we ended up in a board of variance um, appeal because we were drawn into a lottery by a new shop that opened within proximity to us and, and uh, ended up winning the lottery but having a, a redo lost the lottery, went to the Board of Variants. Oh, you do? Mm. The operator, I guess, made a mistake. Oh, no. But the details of what the mistake was were never disclosed. Wow. And it was... That's soul-crushing. Yeah, so we appealed that decision. And of course. And were refused. Um, ended up winning the Board of Variants with a unanimous decision. That's great. Um, and then took a long time in the development permit application phase and then finally got rejected because of a community consultation that ignored the 240 letters of support that we got the first time at the BOV. So we went back to the BOV, and everyone was very nice, actually, because we had done a lot of talking with the city, mm-hmm. and they um, they supported our application, and we got right. through again. Right. And uh, then we got our DP, you know, re- uh, Issued. Reissued, mm-hmm. thank you. And then we uh, just finally got our application in. Wow, sounds like a roller coaster. It was so a journey. So much back and forth. It was a journey. And a big learning curve for anyone, everyone. I know that the, the city officials the first year round were extremely exhausted, and so were the Board of Variance um, members. They were burnt out by the end, and they had been running like late into the night, millions, you know, many, many, many variance hearings. So mm-hmm. this next year, they, they actually dialed it back and only saw a certain amount per day, so that slowed things down again. Right. Uh, but at least they had more experience, and you know, so everybody on both sides was is all learning. Right, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and one of the parts of the licensing process is also a permit fee, right? Mm-hmm. And is that um, is that similar to other permit fees for other businesses? Is it a lot higher? It's a I'm lot not higher. Not higher. It's the most expensive <laughs> license fee by several factors, like by three or four times, I think. So $30,000. Wor- 30, so was there any worry that you guys were going to pay this $30,000 and then legalization was going to happen and it could be a toss-up? We didn't really know how the province was going to, or was that just something you guys were willing 
you guys had invested nope. time ready to go well, there's a there's another fee as well there's thirty thousand dollars as a cannabis retailer and there's yep. a thousand dollar license fee as a compassion club yeah oh, right so the city set up a set of rules to qualify for compassion club and uh so some shops are able to fit into that designation and the right. others are going retail mm -hmm. right okay um so how do you feel about the, you said there's about 70 dispensaries operating outside of these regulations. So as someone who's kind of been on this, you know, roller coaster trying to get licensed, I mean, how do you feel about those who are operating outside of this licensing process? Me personally, I feel like I can't really speak to that because I don't know how hopeful, how organized, how much, how, what kinds of resources, what the agenda is for each shop. Mm -hmm. So, on, you know, while some may just be overwhelmed by the process of the application or may have records that are due to, you know, that are as a result of having provided access to cannabis right. and maybe they feel like that's just a no, a non-starter. Right. I can I can only imagine what you know what types of uh, reasons that they might have for not participating. So I just want to focus on those who are and yeah. and hopefully they find their voice and people to represent them. Yeah. Very fair answer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we just recently, um, you know, BC kind of have unveiled their provincial plan. So mm -hmm. it certainly leaves room for dispensaries or retail stores, uh, both public and private. Mm -hmm. So um, what do you think that the business licenses in Vancouver could mean for dispensaries in Vancouver and other jurisdictions that have those um, licensing processes when legalization come? Does that mean first to the gate or uh, does it mean you guys are a shoe in? What do you think? Well, I think that the what the province has laid out says that being an existing retailer will not in any way jeopardize your provincial application um, if you have municipal approval. Right. So the city of Vancouver has been very steadfast in its program and they, their support behind their licensed retailers is mm -hmm. very strong. So we expect municipal approval to flow through. Um, there are a number of other municipalities that have municipal, municipally approved dispensaries mm -hmm. and, and uh, we hope to see the same transition for them. But there are other places where they're being asked to cease operations until legalization happens. Oh, really? And in those cases we're concerned because you know, these businesses have been allowed to operate. Mm -hmm. People have become to, have come to rely on them for both medicine and, and recreation, let's be real. You know, it's not everyone's medicating with cannabis, but many, many people are finding a lot of those benefits. Yeah. Um, so closing down a shop that's been existing is strictly up to a municipality, um, but it will leave people in a bit of a spot especially right. if they're relying on this for, for medical access. Right, in terms of continuity of access. Yes. That's Not right. to mention there are, you know, there are people employed. There are, there are people who work in these places that pay bills and go to school, and it also impacts that side of the economy. So how do you guys envision this transition for you guys specifically happening? Do you think there's going to be a period of time where you're going to have to close? Uh, while waiting for like a you know a license under a, a legal rec system, mm. or do you think it'll be kind of straight through? My thinking is that it's going to be straight through in Vancouver. I don't think there's going to be uh, an interruption by the city. Mm. Um, you know, they're they're not going to ask for that. I don't anticipate that. They're on a licensing program. Right. Other cities, um, you know, it's a it's up. up to the city. I mean, yeah. there are some cases that are going through, like they've 
indicated that would be the case. They've some have issued temporary use permits. Mm -hmm. Some have actually asked their their shops to shut down. Right. Uh, and that creates a lot of controversy, and and like, like I said, it impacts people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think also where I see uh, a potential blip in transition is supply. Right. So what does that look like? What does it look like when I have to stop with the people I currently work with and transition to this liquor board model or this, Yeah, you like know, a legal supply. Mm -hmm. like, I never actually thought about that, is that mm -hmm. the interruption might actually be like, you're going to have to make um, agreements with, with different licensed producers. Or, or, or do I? Or do I or just do go online to the LCB or what LDB. is it, the LDB and shop like I don't right, know what this looks like warehouse or something well this like is that. what they're That's saying right. right this is we have this one source and I may prefer to buy one over the other mm -hmm. but I don't know that I don't know what that looks like right? I definitely want to say that you know in terms of product and supply chain there's going to be an impact for, for our medical consumers who mm -hmm. are used to products that are not currently or not right. regulated yet mm -hmm. um, they're going to be in the most difficult position and as a retailer it's difficult because you begin to form bonds with your, mm -hmm. your people and it's not your it's not a pharmacy type of an exchange that happens at a dispensary you get to know your members and you know their problems and they you know you get this there's a relationship that develops and you know, people want to take care of their people. Mm -hmm. So how do you do that when, you know, more than half of your products are going to be unregulated and yet you're being regulated? Right. So this is a real challenge to the whole process. And then the other process or the other challenge in the process, there were a couple of articles just recently written and, uh, you know, we're, we're reaching out and trying to get meetings with the LDB, but, you know, the quality of product that consumers in British Columbia and probably wherever there are, our regular storefront dispensaries is potentially quite high. Um, everybody buys differently, but if you come to the bloomery, you'll see a very high standard and, and very good quality products. We're not sure of the future products, and we've right. we've heard through this article that there's a a price limit. Like at the at the buyers, they're buying below a certain limit. And I'm not sure that they're going to be buying a product that's of the quality that people are expecting. Right. So you're saying because like the province, for example, is saying we're going to pay $3 a gram mm -hmm. across the board, that that's that might right. actually leave us with less. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, there are a lot of other markets. I mean, right. selling direct to medical consumers is a higher market. Um, LPs can sell across provincial borders, and there of are course. other provinces who are paying 5 to $6, yeah. we've heard. And internationally. And internationally as well, yeah. to $20 per gram. And it doesn't, it doesn't validate those who've gone above and beyond to create, you know, state-of-the-art grow facilities or, you know, who want to do things differently. Because yeah. there and is some excellent quality in the LP yes. world, and we'd love to have it in our shop, and yeah. we'd love to see it in the LDB's you know, inventory. Right. We're not sure they're going to make those buys. Though. Right. And I'm sure you guys have pretty well-established relationships with growers outside of that as well mm -hmm. that yeah. probably are producing really great products. Yeah. All of whom want to transition. That's great. Yeah. That's yeah. Great. And that's the micro-license categories right. that uh, Health Canada is currently working on. Um, but it, it does mean that our craft producers that we currently get supplied with, we're going to lose them for... Oh, wow. Know, Mm -hmm. Maybe a year, maybe right. a little longer, hopefully less. Not to mention something simple like a topical cream oh. is going to be black market. So, you know, 75-year-old with some shingles wants a little cream for their rash, has to go in the back alley. Uh -huh. right. Not really, but they're going to be taking a risk, a yeah. bigger risk each yeah. time they enter a new space or make a phone call or try to place an order online. 
So let's say we fast forward. It's like October 2018. We're in Vancouver. Uh, you know, stores that were licensed by the city are now have transitioned into the legal space. Mm-hmm. What do you think that means for shops that are outside of that system? Do you think that they're going to continue to operate? Are we going to see, you know, harder enforcement? I mean, are we going to see them maybe transition all online? What do you think? Mm-hmm. What's your, if you could take My your God. genie globe well, out of here? We can, we can tell you what the province has said. Um, once they've handed out retail licenses to businesses, they won't tolerate, they've said, unlicensed shops. Yeah. Um, so there are the, the 70 injunctions that were filed here are going to be heard in the fall. And I guess the first decision will set a precedent for all of them. Um, I'm not sure which way that's going to go, but the province has stated that um, enforcement will be swift and decisive, I believe the words were. Oof. So um, What a choice. Yeah, but on the other side of the coin, there are going to be some retailers who stay open with existing supply chain to take care of their patients. Mm-hmm. And there are Supreme Court judgments that support the existence of, of medical dispensaries that, that provide access that Health Canada is not providing. And storefront access is the, and actually the product diversity as well, mm-hmm. is the access that Health Canada is not providing yet. So mm-hmm. there, we hope that the ones that, that choose to stay open and be medical will be allowed to stay. That's really my firm right. hope. Mm-hmm. So as long as they stay with that kind of like medical... They'd have to stay with a strict medical um, intake protocol yep. and, uh, and they'd have to serve patients. Right. And, and hopefully then we can start seeing some relationships built with uh, medical practitioners who are now uh, feel freer around uh, prescribing and talking about cannabis as an option. Mm-hmm. Um, that's super important. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, Just talking about medical access and, mm-hmm. and to her point, I mean, there's so many people are using cannabis to benefit them in so many ways right now and there's no din number yeah yet doctors are the gatekeepers mm-hmm. and you know their patients are stuck in this place where they can get a prescription for an anti-anxiety med but they can't get a pre- uh, access from their doctors for cannabis Absolutely. so this this line between who's a medical patient and who's a recreational consumer is very blurred. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people are accessing cannabis at dispensaries with medical intent, but without paperwork. Right. Yeah. And, and this is something that hasn't been adequately dealt with so far in, yeah. in, in regulation. Absolutely. It really always has striked, uh, struck me mm-hmm. <laughs> as interesting that like some of the most common things that people are using cannabis for are things like anxiety and depression, mm-hmm. which subsequently are really hard to get medical cannabis scripts for Mm -hmm. just because of, you know, the unknown, I guess, and and these physicians. But we've focused a lot on the negative, but what are you guys looking forward to kind of in a legal and regulated framework? Like, what are some things you think are going to be great as entrepreneurs, um, but also with your own shop? Well, I think that one thing that we can be really hopeful about is, is getting great products from some of the smaller, craftier LPs. There are a few of them here in BC Mm -hmm. um, and, and others. And I think that there'll be a, a good supply of quality cannabis that's consistent mm-hmm. and regular and tested. Yeah. You know, and uh, hopefully we can find uh, we can find good access to those suppliers <laughs> because I think that they're going to be in real high demand. Yeah. But let's stay positive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that uh, one of the things that I'm looking forward to is the adoption or the, the, the regulating of a lot of the craft growers in BC. Yeah, that um, This is a little bit down the road, but I think that this is a real positive that we can look forward to. Um, 
another thing that I think is positive, I don't want to you know, hog the mic, but um, I think that, well, obviously in a year or so, we're going to get the product diversity back. It's going to be right. regulated. That's going to be a big positive. So, you know, getting, having a legal business that's regulated and supplied by regulated suppliers and is, you know, the, the grayness is out of it, mm -hmm. this is a real positive for legalization. Yeah, that's great. How about Andrea? I've had to dial it right back because I am very sad. <laughs> when I, I love merchandising. I love the retail environment. I look at the right. packaging. I look at the media. It's just like they want me to sell plutonium and, and tell everybody it's very bad. So that's on my, you know, yeah. drama side. Yeah. So I've gone, I've dialed it back and I thought, well, this is the good thing here. And this is all over our country and, and, and in BC. If this is going to be an opportunity for more people to have more good experiences with cannabis. Mm -hmm. And once more people see that it is okay, and it's not this crazy drug, then we're going to have more of, quote, us, you know, the, the, the consumer base will be much larger, much more grounded, and, and we'll get to see what does it really look like in a society that, that adopts cannabis as, an, as a plant-based alternative for many, many things, be it joy or sleep. Um, so that's, that's one hopeful thing for me. The other thing is it's an opportunity for people like myself um, to get really, really well acquainted with the flower. We've been um, blessed in some way to have access to tea and topicals and tinctures and lotions and so capsules and all kinds of pretty pens. So I could, you know, I could probably consume many, many modalities and never once see a flower. So this is an important time in history for all of us to step back and look at flowers and recognize them for what they are, the different colors, the different terpene profiles, the different bud structures, and then learn how to do things with them yourself. You know, what does it look like to make your own olive oil? What does it look like to make your own topical cream? Right. What does it look like to maybe take that oil and make capsules? You, we, we can become our own experts and we can create that, that, um, the demand, the knowledge, uh, yeah, I'm trying to look for the word, but we can create a, a place where people recognize the value in all of these products so that when they do start to roll out, people recognize them and say, yeah, it takes me 12 hours to make those. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go buy that. <laughs> but you know what? We're, we're all going to have that knowledge and then that's an opportunity. So I'm hopeful there. That's great. So I think that's a really excellent note to mm -hmm. wind down the old podcast. I want to thank you both for taking time out of your day uh, mm -hmm. to come down to the Hive studio and be with us today. It was really awesome uh, to have you both here. So from High Tea, I'm Jenna. I'm going to sign off. One more time, we're going to say thank you to Cannabis Wise and Niche for uh, sponsoring this podcast. Uh, you can catch us on Grow at the Daily Hive. Until next time.